Hello and welcome to CRCC Spotlights. Um, today I'm joined by Erica Albertson, who's head of our market-leading e-discovery solutions practice. Um, Erica's joined me today to, to discuss some of the, the tips, tricks, uh, tech solutions and key trends that she's seeing in her practice. Um, Erica is a market leader and so we're really lucky to have her at Simmons, but also I'm very lucky to have got into her diary um, to do this podcast, so that's fantastic. Um, Erica, I'm going to dive right into it in the interest of time. Um, looking sort of back at um, my quite short career so far, e-discovery has changed um, a huge amount in the sort of the decade or so since I started as a trainee. Um, when I started, we used to stick in some keywords and the, the machine would spit some documents back at you and you would just read everything. You'd have the footnotes, the the, the footers, the headers. Um, but the world has, has changed quite a lot, hasn't it? I was wondering whether you could give listeners an overview of sort of what can be achieved and sort of the tools available to an investigator in 2021. Yeah, sure. No problem. Um, I really think kind of long gone are the days of the chronological manual review that we used to do and that you kind of started as as a trainee. Um, We now have access to so many different analytics um, over the last 10 years. It has really changed the way that we approach data and document review. So it has really sort of been a shift over the past, I would say, six, seven years around the collective mindset of lawyers and e-discovery professionals um, in that we don't really feel like we need to look at every single document in a data set anymore, especially for things like uh, investigations. There are so many different tools out there now that we can use like continuous active learning and natural language processing that can really help us get to the key documents more quickly without having to sit there and look at every single document in a data set. Yeah, and speaking as a lawyer, I think it, it's fair to say that those tools are becoming more and more widely accepted by sort of regulators, law enforcement courts. Mm-hmm. I think that's largely out of necessity, isn't it, just as the volume of data expands. Yeah, um, and I think that really they just trust the technology a bit more than they used to yeah. um, because it's it has sort of evolved um, and become much more reliable than it, than it was at the start. But when you've got one of those large pools of client data, what would sort of what's some of the key technology that our clients should be asking whether it's available to them when they start an investigation? Yeah, I think if they came kind of to our e-discovery team, the first question I would ask is, why do we have a large pool of data? Um, I think a lot of times there's this real sense of urgency, especially around investigations, uh, especially for things like Dawn raids or race leniency cases, um, where we really just want to get the data and get in there and start looking at it. Um, And I think More recently, I've spent a lot of my time really working with clients on scoping the project and really making sure that we have the data set that we actually need to have. Um, A lot of times people are over collecting and when you over collect, it really just expands sort of the amount of documents you have to review, the cost for processing and hosting. Um, So really making sure that we get a handle on those right uh, data volumes is super important. And this really is sort of a collaboration between the legal team and the technical team here at Simmons, uh, which is one of the things that I really love about what we've what we've built here is that we can approach this from sort of a joint perspective where the lawyers will come to us and say from sort of a risk and proportionality perspective, this is what they're comfortable with, which can really help dramatically reduce the amount of data that, that we might need to initially collect. And then from our side, we can work really closely with the clients um, to really figure out where that fine line is between under collecting and over collecting a data set. So we can make sure we have the right custodians, the right date ranges, the right data sources, uh, and that we're applying some really smart search terms to the data when we collect it. Uh, so really kind of by getting us involved as early as possible, this makes it really easy for us to sort of help manage those large data sets that might just kind of randomly come from from our clients. 
Yeah, and you fielded a number of questions from me, <laughs> just just me, um, when I'm at stupid questions when I'm at the beginning of the matter, and you've you've really put me on on the right the right track. But one thing that I find to be really helpful is continuous active learning, or I sometimes call it machine learning. Um, how have you been using that, and how's that come about? Yeah. So what? Continuous active learning, some people call it TAR, technology assisted review, some people call it CAR, computer assisted review. There's lots of different names for it. But really what it is, is it's using a machine learning model to train uh, the system on human coding. So as lawyers tag documents relevant and not relevant, the system becomes more accurate in its understanding of what a relevant document might be. And as the lawyers continue to review, the system will then sort of rank the documents as most likely to be relevant to least likely to be relevant and shuffle those most likely to be relevant documents to the top. So a really good example of this that happened recently on in an internal investigation we were working on, we had about 150,000 documents that the client had asked us to have a look at for this investigation. And we decided to use Cal in the data set. And by doing so, the 10th document in the review pool using Cal was was kind of our key document in the in the case. And had we done more of a traditional kind of chronological manual review, the key document was two and a half years into the date range. So we likely wouldn't have found it for two, three, maybe even four weeks had we done sort of a linear review. So utilizing the, these machine learning technologies really helps us get to, to the key documents that we're looking for more quickly. It's really effective, isn't it? Yeah. When you, when you see at the end of the review, the sort of the the chunk of documents that you haven't had to look at it, yeah. it's extraordinary to think about the time you saved one thing um that i think is quite new on the scene is um natural language processing sort of as a non-technical person it doesn't really mean a lot to me in the name i was wondering <laughs> whether you could give people a bit of an overview yeah this is something that is really exciting kind of in the field of e-discovery and, and compliance as well um, it's more of an advanced AI that uses techniques such as data labeling, or some people call it content classification, where it can identify uh, different bits of, of text, like dates is a really good example. So something could be the last 20 years, and the system would know that that's a date. It could be like a traditional sort of date format. It could be two weeks ago. So it's able to sort of label and classify different bits of information so that we can group them together more easily. Um, and that it can also apply things like sentiment analysis and communications analysis analysis to, to the data set as well. So sentiment analysis is the ability for the machines to detect a positive or a negative tone within the data set. So this could include things like negative sentiment in emails. Um, we can find this sometimes in construction projects that have gone wrong. When we start to look for that negative sentiment, it kind of shows us about when things kind of started to turn in that construction case. Um, and we can also use it in things like employment investigations, where if we're looking for all the negative things that someone said about someone, uh, using sentiment analysis really makes that, that a really easy task for us. And we can also use, like I mentioned, communications analysis with natural language processing. And this really helps us identify kind of who was talking to who about what and when. So this gives us the ability to kind of identify patterns within communications, behaviors, as well as sort of outliers and discrepancies. So we've used this in a case recently where one of the key custodians was sort of consistently speaking to another employee after hours. And when they were emailing that employee from their work email, they were emailing the other employee's personal email. So just being able to identify kind of who is speaking to who outside of hours and on the weekends and using personal email addresses can really help us identify who might have been doing something um, less than above board on, on their matter. 
And so kind of then once we have the right data that, that we need to look at, we can then sort of get going into to kind of the, the real meat of the investigation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it, that once you get into um, the, the different charts that get spat out and, and you really can get into the, the nub of the matter almost immediately. I mean, it's yeah, it's fantastic as compared to just a linear keyword review. And I think what makes it so great kind of at Simmons is that we have the tech and the legal together. So it makes it really easy for us to come to you guys and say, what is it that you guys need? And we can really sit down together and kind of dig into the data set and find what you guys are looking for super, super quick. Yeah, it's great. Um, moving on, um, this week we're getting a few more of our our, um, our freedoms back. So I thought yeah. it'd be nice to, to look back <laughs> at the last year, um, how e-discoveries changed sort of during this sort of long period of working from home and not just in the UK, but globally. Um, so what are some of the things that in e-discovery you've had to get your arms around when people have been coming to you with queries? Yeah, I think over the last year, we've really seen sort of a significant shift in where key relevant data is found um, from new data sources such as collaboration and and communication tools. So we're seeing a lot more data from platforms such as Teams, Slack, and Skype. Since everyone has been working from home for such a long time now, we've all become incredibly reliant on these platforms. I mean, we're doing this podcast right now through Teams. And sometimes, sort of given the urgency of the lockdown last year, these were implemented really quickly by by companies. Um, And it didn't really kind of think to, most of the companies didn't really think too much about how that was going to fit into their data retention policies. How are Mm -hmm. these new collaboration platforms being backed up? Um, Are you backing up all of the chats? Are you backing up all of the teams? Are you backing up all of the phone calls and, and the voicemail messages? Uh, that are coming through through this as well. And so I think we've really seen also sort of a move to more unapproved communication channels and away from kind of, as we moved away from those kind of traditional work environments. Yeah. I mean, that that's certainly from an investigations perspective, that's one of the, the most interesting trends, I think, is that mm. how firms manage that. And it's been something I think firms have been grappling with for a while, but we're starting to see that come through in sort of statements from regulators, some high court decisions. How how, how are we dealing with that in, in the discovery space? Yeah, and I think just having spoken to a lot of clients over the last year, this is something that they're really worried about. They don't really have as much sort of oversight and daily sort of insight into what their employees are doing. Um, and so I think there is a lot of worry about what's happening kind of at home around the uptick in the use of WhatsApp for business communications when it's not necessarily an approved uh, platform for for business, um, as well as an increase in sort of unapproved personal phones. So it's a lot easier for some people to pick up their personal phone um, than to sit at their computer and use a headset and sort of communicate that way. Um, so a lot of clients are trying to head this off with additional IT training for their mm-hmm. employees and reminders to the employees around what their approved devices and preferred uh, applications are for business. But it's definitely a a question that's now on the top of my data collection questionnaire that maybe wasn't quite so high up before. um, Because if people are using these unapproved devices for business, it's possible that we're going to need to go ahead and collect those when it comes to a a litigation or investigation. Yeah, and we've got a um, a quite helpful article on our insights page if anybody's interested in in this topic, because there are um, some issues you need to be thinking about when you're thinking about collecting that data. So what do your policies say? What do the employment contracts say, et cetera, et cetera? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and we've summarised it there. Um, one of the things you mentioned, Erica, was collaboration platforms. Now, how do you go about collecting those? Is it harder? Is it easier? Um, what are the kind of issues with those tools? Because I know people are starting to use them a lot more. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think one of the things that I love about eDiscovery and one of the things that keeps it really interesting for me is that it's con- we're constantly innovating. So every time a new software company develops a new piece of tech or a new way to communicate, we then have to come up with a way to deal with those in, in sort of an e-discovery context. Um, I think in terms of collaboration platforms, in some respects, it's actually easier to collect this data because the technology is so much newer. So these are typically stored on a SharePoint, or some other easily accessible cloud platform. So our ability to sort of get hold of this data is pretty straightforward. Um, That being said, we have run into some really interesting issues around this type of data. One problem that we have run into is around links um, within sort of Teams or, or Slack or Skype that link to the company's document management system. So if we collect that data from Teams or Slack and we bring it to Simmons and Simmons, we've taken that data off of the company servers. And so the hyperlinks to those documents in their document management system no longer work. Um, so we've sort of developed some custom tech that we have now that can kind of search through chats and search through these Teams channels um, to sort of identify those hyperlink documents and we can then go back to the client and have them find um, the actual documents for us and then we can kind of link those back together on our end uh, in the data set. That's brilliant because I know I've come across that issue on matters I've worked on you particularly get it in policies and procedures mm-hmm. that link to other documents that that's a really useful tool. Mm-hmm. Well, what I mean, what are the new technology we're we seeing sort of come through that's impacting matters, perhaps um, things that clients might not have been dealing with yet, but possibly coming up? Yeah, I think it's it's going to be a lot of social media. Um, it's going to be a lot of different social media type platforms that we're going to start seeing more and more of. Things like TikTok, Clubhouse is a new one that everyone seems really excited about. There's one called Caffeine. Uh, there's one called Instagram Reels. And then there's Twitter Spaces, which is sort of Twitter's version of Clubhouse. Um, and what those are, for those that, that haven't heard of them yet, is it's sort of like an audio chat room where it's not really typing. It's more sort of just little sound bites. Um, and it, what, what is really interesting kind of to me about the way that social media seems to be trending is that it seems to have really gone fully sort of audio video. Um, it used to be a lot of text. It used to be a lot of things that were written down. But we're really just not seeing that anymore. The only text we're seeing in the new social media f- platforms is really hashtags. Uh, so from an e-discovery perspective and a data collection perspective, we then really have to think about how confident are we in the tools that we're using um, that can sort of handle audio and video files. And presumably those are enormous. I mean, how how do you handle those? Are you using tech to get a to get around some of those problems? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got there are a handful of really great tools in the market right now which use machine learning to transcribe and sort of analyze audio and video files. A lot of them can also extract key concepts from the audio files, um, and they can do so in you know 15 to 50 different languages. Um, in the past, we would say to manually review one hour of audio file, it would take two hours of human time because you'd have to rewind and sort of lift, listen to certain bits over and over because maybe the audio wasn't clear or the person was speaking really fast. Um, but by utilizing tech to get the text of these conversations, we now have access to our entire toolkit of text analytics capabilities uh, that can really help us reduce the number of audio files that actually need to be listened to, if there are any at all. God, it's fascinating, isn't it? So, I mean, there's a lot of things that people need to be thinking about when they're sort of coming to you, the data universe. Um, 
What are sort of the most common client concerns that you're seeing when people come to you? So we've, we've covered the tech, we've covered some of the types of data. What are the concerns people are um, worried about? Yeah, I think our, you're absolutely right. Our client's data universe will continue to expand. And really one of the things that we're trying to do here at Simmons is be there at the front, uh, sort of helping to solve these complex issues before they get too huge. Um, I think that this is part of the reason why we recently launched Accelerate Digital. So whether it really is the size of the data universe that's keeping you up at night or some old legacy systems that you're not really sure what to do with anymore, um, terabytes and terabytes of historic data you have sitting on archive servers, these are all different things that, that our Accelerate Digital Package can help you with. Um, we've also built this really awesome tool called Control Transfer, uh, which can help you assist sort of your risk assessments and, and do some jurisdiction comparisons to ensure that you're in compliance with the various data transfer laws, um, kind of with the new Shrums 2 ruling and, and things yeah. like that. <laughs> um, which no doubt everybody is is grappling with. Um, Absolutely. Final final quiz question from me, Erica. Um, I know one of the things, and it's slightly off, off topic where we've been uh, going, but a lot of our clients are having to deal with data subject access requests and lots of our clients are receiving a lot of those. Um, what have we been doing in this space and is there anything that clients can do to maybe make that process a little bit less painful for them? Yeah, this is one of the huge pain points that we've been seeing from our clients for really the last, gosh, three years, I would say. And I think we spent a lot of time really listening to our clients to understand what the problem was around data subject access requests to help us come up with a solution that would really meet their, their needs. Um, I think we really started seeing an uptick of these about two, three years ago. And one thing that we noticed was that even within our clients' own legal departments, they didn't necessarily agree amongst themselves on what they wanted their approach to DTARs to be. So they didn't necessarily agree on what they considered to be personal data or how they wanted to handle different types of redactions like I don't know, third party information or confidentiality. So really that's where the development of the Simmons and Simmons DSAR toolkit came from. Um, and it has been such a collaboration between the e-discovery team and the legal teams uh, on the pieces of tech that we have built and the custom workflows that we have developed to really help make DSARs more efficient for our clients. We quickly sort of realized that the most expensive part of DSAR was the redaction process that needed to be applied. So a lot of the technology that we've developed was not only to redact documents automatically without needing sort of manual application of black boxes, but also to identify clever ways to avoid applying redactions at all. So I think this combination of sort of the tech and the legal, again, really gives our clients a lot of cost certainty and efficiencies around the DSAR process. And really now we just kind of take our clients' DSARs, throw them into the DSAR toolkit, and then they kind of just come out the other end um, in, in a really sort of quick, efficient way. And presumably lots of those learnings from that we can then apply to, to other matters. Absolutely. So we've now taken some of the tech that we built for the DSAR toolkit and we're using it for investigations as well. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Well, Erica, I think we're sort of running out of time now, but mm -hmm. thank you very much. That's been fantastic. Um, absolutely heaps to think about in this space, isn't there? A really fast moving part of the market. Um, and I think it's um, an area where lots of the sort of complexity and challenges that clients have been facing is really being driven out by the technology, although um, depending on social media, it might get a bit more complicated. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, watch that space for sure. Yeah, well, when you see me on TikTok, <laughs> you can, if you could redact that, that'd be great. Um, thank you very much for your time and your thoughts. And thank you very much to everybody for um, 
listening please do tune in next time and please do visit our insights page where the um the back catalogue of these podcasts is stored in in all its glory um so have a fantastic week um enjoy your new freedoms um and goodbye for now thank you